This episode of Converge with my guest Todd Henry is sponsored by Gobi Collective. Gobi is my favorite community for creative entrepreneurs on the internet. It's built from the ground up to inspire, equip, and catalyze you and your business. For more information, check out gobicollective.com. Converge is my chance to connect with creatives who make really interesting things. And when they can, profit from those things, often in ways that might surprise you. My background as a photographer and author gets me in conversations with visual storytellers and writers, but also musicians, actors, business and thought leaders, basically people who work very hard, not just to make a buck, but also to make a point. The invitation is to understand a little more of the context that surrounds their work, and hopefully discover a fresh perspective that might inspire something new around the value you're making in the world. If you want to get help on the internet to do almost anything, you're just a couple of clicks away. It's no big deal to find out insight or clarity on technical things on how to get better at X or Y. The challenge becomes, I think, probably maybe the biggest challenge, is trying to do that in a way that is unique to you, that is somehow stylized to your unique DNA. And I find that the more I'm in conversations with creatives who want to make something out of what they make, they start very predictably with a desire to learn how to do things or to get tips and tricks or gear or insight on the, the mechanics of the enterprise. But very few people have insight on your spin, on your perspective, and how your take and your unique view on life could really be the difference maker in standing out in the crowd. Well, today's guest is a dear friend of mine. His name is Todd Henry. He's the author of Accidental Creative. He's the author of Die Empty. And he's also the author of a new book that's just coming out right now called Louder Than Words, Harness the Power of Your Authentic Voice. And I think by the end of our conversation, not only will you be inspired to reconsider how your voice is coming out to the masses, but also how gratifying and significant it can be for you personally if you can lock in and align yourself with what the voice and the sounds and the message and the story that you want to give and share with the world. And if you get that right, it could be the difference maker. Your voice is not just what you say, it's how you're heard. I'm your host, Dane Sanders, and I want to welcome you to Converge. Todd Henry, welcome to Converge. Thank you, Dane. It's great to be here. You have been um, you've been busy these last three or four years. <laughs> <laughs> I have, yes. This is your, your third book that's come out. Talk a little bit about the progression of the books that you've you've written so far. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm glad you asked that. I'm glad you noticed that even that there is a progression because I think for for a lot of people, books seem like non sequiturs, right? Um, you know, it's, oh, you wrote about this and this and this, but there really was kind of a natural progression with these first three books. And I, I sort of informally refer to them as the trilogy, the creative professional trilogy. Um, in a way, it's not quite as, you know, sweeping and expansive as, you know, Lord of the Rings or something, but, you know. Um, but yeah, so the, so the first book, The Accidental Creative, was really about just the pressure that we face as creative professionals every day to have to go to work, to have to make it up, to have to figure it out, to have to solve problems, some of those unique dynamics that exist and how we can build practices into our lives to make us 
better prepared to deal with those pressures every day. So to be prepared to have ideas when we need them or to be able to deliver results when we have to, uh, which we have to do as creative pros. The second book was really about, okay, great. Now I've got all this organized. Um, I, I feel good. I feel like my life, there's good rhythm in my life. I'm prolific, brilliant, and healthy right now. But what am I pointing that toward? What is my compass? Where am I going? And what are some of the hurdles, some of the places I might get stuck along the way uh, in, in, in building a body of work that I can be proud of? So that was kind of the second, I think the second part of that was just figuring out then how do I steer all of this energy that I have now that I'm, I'm organized. And the third book, uh, th this new and louder than words, uh, I'm, I'm really excited about. And I feel like everything's kind of been building for this uh, for you know probably 10 years of, of my writing and my work is it's really about the, the reality that attention for your work is not a birthright. You can do great work. You can do work that is right on point, that is is great, it's brilliant. And I think there's this kind of myth that if we just do good work, it's going to get discovered. And sometimes that happens for sure. But the reality is that we all have to figure out a way to present our work, to connect with people in a way that will resonate deeply. Um, it's not just enough to do good work. We have to consider how is it that I want my work to be received and how can I uh, increase the chances that my work will get discovered by the people I'm trying to serve and actually have the impact that I want it to have, uh, which at the root of it, I believe, is about figuring out what you care about, what your audience cares about, and then figuring out a way to, to connect those things so that you're creating work that has empathy and that that deeply resonates with the people you're trying to serve well it's funny that the idea of uh, you know finding your voice uh it's it's a phrase or a euphemism that i think it, it doesn't get when people kick it around it doesn't seem like it, it gets the gravity or the responses often don't get the gravity in my my experience a lot of folks when they respond to you know how do you find your way or how do you find a signature voice the responses sometimes can be pithy or just proverbial where it's pie in the sky. Mm -hmm. But in your case, I like, really like, um, in particular, I love how you began by just defining like concretely what is voice. And in particular, it's almost like you, you break down an anatomy of a body of work. And I'm wondering if you could just talk a little bit about how for the, for the audience, how, if I'm starting out, or even if I've been at this for a while, I need to kind of reset my voice or, or, or rearticulate it in a fresh way. What are the building blocks for finding one's voice? Yeah, and, and and I'm glad you put it that way, building blocks, because I think I think for a lot of people, they there's this kind of you know, voice seems mystical. It seems elusive. It seems like it's this thing that you go on this long trek, and then you suddenly you <laughs> dig in the sand and you pull out this box, you open it up, and voila, I found my voice, right? And then forever and always, I found my voice. And I don't really believe that to be true. And I think if you look at the people who have done who have built bodies of work that have been substantive and have stood the, the test of time, um, the, they are people who have committed to the process of not finding their voice, but developing their voice over the course of time. And, and their voice has shifted and changed and morphed and, and been tweaked. And, and um, they've kind of, uh, you know, they, they've massaged that over the course of time as they've built their body of work. And I think that's probably a more apt way to think about it. Um, your voice, I believe, is an expression through a medium to achieve an impact. And I think all three of those things are necessary parts of voice, right? It's not just what you say, it's how you're heard. Say that again a little sorry, because there's a lot loaded in that package. <laughs> so go ahead. It's expression through a medium to achieve an impact, right? 
Um, so it's what 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 is inside of you, the expression that you want to deliver through a medium, which is your platform. Your platform is as much a part of your voice as the expression itself, because that's going to determine how people receive what you do. So the medium or the platform that you use is very important. Uh, and then the impact is really important. You know, I, I, there's a lot of discussion about what is art, um, is this art, is that art, and I, I you know I believe whatever we're making, and again, I mean we could be talking about a business, we could be talking about a work of art, whatever it is. I believe that if there is no impact, if it's not received, if it doesn't move people in some way, I think you have to question, okay, did it have its desired effect? I think that we have to have that desired effect in mind when we make something, when we do something, we create something. Um, that's part of the artistic process, and it's certainly a part of expressing your voice. So I, I think that at the end of the day, voice is not just, as we often you know, think about it, it's not just this self-gratifying, oh, I feel like I'm in my sweet spot. I feel so good. I found my voice. You really have to think about what is the impact I want to have? What is the desired effect that I want my work to have on the world? How do I want to mobilize people? How do I want to move people? What what response do I want? I mean, really, all of those things have to be considered as part of this. And so as I was breaking down some resonant voices and asking, okay, what is it that they have that other people don't have? I, I kind of peel back these three um, layers of voice that are important. And I actually call them the voice engine because I think they really feed into one another and they really create this kind of virtuous cycle of developing your voice. And the first one is identity. Identity is about who are you? Uh, what do you care about? Uh, what are the battle lines that you deem worth fighting you know, with your work? I mean, this is really important. It's important that we understand what we stand for and who we are and the kind of the pillars of who we are. The second element of that is vision. And vision is about where you're going. It's about where you want to take your audience. How do you want to shape your work? And it's it's pretty clear to see, Dane, uh, when, when you when you look at the bodies of work of, of certain people, you can kind of see that they, maybe they came out of the gate strong. They had a really strong early performance, but then they didn't really have a vision for their work, and so they kind of washed out on the on the plane. Right? There was nothing substantive and deep. There wasn't a deep river. They didn't have banks. They didn't understand the um, you know the, the the vision that they have for their work or where they wanted to take their audience. So you have to have a, a vision for your work. You don't have to know exactly where you're going, but you have to have at least a, a sense of how you want to shape your body of work. And then finally, uh, mastery. And this is, you know, it's pretty obvious maybe, but it's something we often overlook, which is that if you want to have a compelling resonant voice, you have to be a master of your craft. Uh, but that doesn't just mean being skilled at your specific technique or whatever it is, but it's also about understanding your audience. It's about ensuring that you have good timing because a well-timed idea is important. I mean, you can put something out that isn't, uh, that the audience isn't ready for and it's not going to work, right? So anyway, so identity, vision, mastery, these are kind of three uh, core elements of voice and developing a voice. And over time, they create a kind of virtuous upward cycle if you're dedicating time against you know each of these areas trying to develop them. You know, both of us had the opportunity to go see um, a band that's been around for a while. You uh, two, you saw it in one city, I saw it in another recently. Yeah. And uh, we were bantering about it off air but um, as a case study, I thought it might be resourceful to look at someone like, well, the band, let's put, leave him break it down further. Let's look at a guy like Bono, who clearly has found his voice, um, but he's he's done it over the course of decades. And he's also done it in the midst of very shifting circumstance. Like what I'm struck by is he's not a one hit wonder. Um, he's somebody who <laughs> album in, album out has consistently... Uh, not just put out hits, but put out substantive body of work. But in the middle of doing that, there have been these crazy circumstances that have also come his way. And, and even recently, 
for those of you guys who don't know, uh, it's hard for me to imagine, but um, the lead singer of U2, they just had a series of debacles where, you know, they put, they, they decide to give everybody a copy of their new album, but it gets received really poorly because we invaded privacy by, or they invaded privacy by putting on everyone's devices. And then uh, he's about to do this week of Jimmy Fallon. And uh, then he gets in a bike accident in Central Park. And, and uh, so it's kind of stumbling out of the blocks. And you talk about those three pieces of expression, medium, and impact. When impact doesn't go your way, when circumstances don't seem to be kind of aligning the way you're, you're hoping they will, how do you put yourself in a position where you still are doing that, that creative process in such a way that, I don't know, it's somehow, is it personal gratifying? Is it, is it uh, like, what are the measuring sticks you go for if the circumstances don't seem to be playing the way you hope? And the reason I want to focus on someone like Bono is obviously, uh, well, the show was a hit. I, you loved it. I loved it. They do, they do so much so well. Um, but they do that because they've been, it seems like for, just album after album, they just are so hungry. They want to get better. And it's they're not just interested in, in one of those three pieces of expression or finding a you know a bigger stadium to express it on or or just the impact. It seems like it is that whole package that makes the big difference. Can you look at a case study like him and learn something? Or could you and I do that as just regular creatives? Uh, or is that just is he just too far out there as a case study to to learn from? Well, I mean, there are always the unicorns, right? There are always the sort of the outliers. And I, th I think we, you know, we want to look at, you know, the outliers and we want to, to use them as benchmarks. And sometimes that's not the best example because sometimes, you know, people, I mean, let's, let's face it, uh, talent accounts for a lot, breaks account for a lot, being in the right place at the right time. I mean, are there... 300 other bands that could have been you too had they been in the same at the right place at the right time with the right set of circumstances i mean perhaps right we don't know maybe there's a band kicking around dublin right now still playing you know songs from 30 years ago that you know they're just sort of like a great local band but maybe they could have been you too i don't know I, we can't answer that question but we can look at you know, if we sort of do some archaeology, we can kind of look at what they have done over time, some of the decisions that they've made, and we can extract some meaning from that, I think. And so one of those things, and we talked about this before, is through line. Mm. You know, there has been, I think, a strong through line, a strong current within their body of work that all kind of bends back toward the same long arc. Um, whether that's political activism, whether that's a specific sound, it's a certain kind of, of vibe. You know, I mean, really, they have evolved a bit as a band, but I mean, they have a pretty strong, compelling, consistent vibe as a band. I mean, you can kind of hear a song and say, okay, that's that's probably a U2 song. Well, or, right? or, yeah, and there, or, there is a sound like a, like a guitar riff that somehow... Oh, that's the edge or, you know, or exactly, yeah, you know, and, yeah. and I think that, um, you know, so at, as far as that, go, but, but it's not, it's not repetitive. It's not boring. It's not, they're not just emulating themselves, you know, and creating like an echo chamber. It feels like they have continued to evolve artistically while maintaining a consonant vibe within what they do. And I think that is what the process of developing your voice is. It's not, you know, when I talk about it, it's an, an ever evolving, unfolding process. It's not you know, completely reinventing yourself every five years as some people, you know, tend to do. But I think it's it has to be founded on what you care about, about the impact that you want to have. And then frankly, also, who do you want to reach? You know, who is the audience that you're striving to, aspiring to reach? And then shaping your body of work, not just to pander to the audience, but so that they can connect with it.
if I'm a creative and I'm uh, interested in, in in a decade from now having a body of work that I could just not only be proud of, but just be like, that was the best I could do. You know, the, for my level of talent and my effort. And let's say I come to you and I'm like, Todd, put me on a, on a regimen or some kind of <laughs> set of disciplines that would, that gonna, it's going to give me my best shot of having a body of work a decade from now, not just like trying to get this particular project completed. What kind of uh, workout plan do you put people on? Yeah. So I would go right back to those three elements of the voice engine, right? I would say you have to figure out who are you. You have to figure out what your, what your body of work is going to be built on. What do you care about? What are the battle lines you want to, you, you, you deem worth fighting? And, you know, for example, and I talk in the book about writing a manifesto, right? Now, um, you know, for some people, maybe they already have something similar to that, but some people have never really thought about what am I really trying to do here with my, with my work? What is it that I really care about? What are the things I'm not willing to compromise? And, and having that kind of personal manifesto and really drilling down deeply into what you care about and the things you're not willing to, to compromise. And then you have to think about vision. You have to think about who am I trying to reach? Who is my intended audience? You know, I, I wrote in the book about uh, Stephen King always writes everything to his ideal reader, you know, or his intended reader. It's a specific person. I've written all three of my books with a specific person in mind, um, a different person for each book, but a specific person in mind. Because well, that, that's fascinating. A different person for each book a different person for each book because each book is different i was i was communicating a different thing in each book right hmm. um and no i won't name them i won't tell you who they were <laughs> very specific i mean a specific person i wrote each book as if i'm sitting across the table from that person and arguing for these ideas with them um, and i thought okay what what problems are they facing what what things are they dealing with what you know and so for me, that's a part of vision. That's part of understanding where I want to take my audience. It's also part of developing empathy, right? And, and having a sense of connectedness with my, my, my audience. And part of, again, vision is part of shaping your work and understanding how do you connect. And then finally, you talked about regimen. We go back to mastery. And we talk about mastering the skills necessary to bring that work into the world. And so what daily practices do you have that are helping you explore, take risks, challenge yourself? Because no matter how good we get at what we do, it, we can eventually become stale. We can eventually hit crisis phase, get stuck at the top of that growth curve. And if we're not continuing to challenge ourselves, to reinvent ourselves, to try new things, to experiment, you know, to learn new skills, to push us to a new place, then we will get stagnant. And maybe other people will look at our work and say, no, you're great. You're great. You're fine. Don't worry. Just keep doing what you're doing. But deep down, we know we're stuck. And eventually that will catch up with us and our peers will surpass us um, if, we, if we aren't diligent about daily practice about doing things that stretch us, that cause us to have to push into new places on a daily basis. Sometimes when people put out creative work, it's not immediately received, like they're ahead of their time. And mm -hmm. I know this connects to the, when you talked about expression, medium, and impact, this really connects to the impact piece. Talk a little bit about how you would guide somebody if they were, they're getting negative feedback in the short term, but they do have that sense of internal resonance. Like, I think this is the stuff that I'm supposed to be putting out there but maybe it's just not connecting with the audience where their intention is somehow um, true, maybe, but uh, the, it's not matching the impact. Right. Do, do, do people, should people just stay the course? Should people tweak uh, in some way to, to make a difference? Because if people don't hear about it, or they don't care. Unless, you know, you think of all those artists who they had to die before anyone checked out their work. <laughs> that doesn't sound very gratifying to me. What, what, do you, what, do you, what feedback do you give to those folks? 
Well, and again, I think you have to ask, what am I really trying to do here? Because I think if you're, if, if you know, we'll just keep going back to this example, because it's the one you brought up, but if, if what you're trying to do is be you too, you know, I want to be a massively internationally successful recording artist or whatever. I mean, that's a different objective than I want to make the best music I can for the people that I want to receive that music. You know, I would, I would almost argue that it's really hard to have lasting power, lasting um, impact and, and have your objective be, I want to be an internationally famous recording artist, right? Yeah. I think you almost have to begin with, I want to build a substantive body of work that people resonate with deeply. Um, and, and I would say that has to remain your focus if you want to stay relevant, mm. I think, creatively. Um, but, I, you know, what would I advise people if their work isn't, isn't connecting, isn't resonating with their audience or isn't achieving the impact that they want? Um, I think you have to have, and I talk, and, you know, again, I, I sort of talked about in the book, the importance of having people around you, having a collective of people to help you stay on course, to help you determine whether you're moving in the right direction. It's possible that you're moving in the right direction. You are ahead of your time. Maybe it's possible you need to work on the mastery piece because your work just isn't connecting. Maybe it's possible you misread the tea leaves and you're just, you're, you're, you're heading in the wrong direction. Or, I mean, you know, for, for example, I mean, I, I wrote, <laughs> discovered the story uh, in the course of writing the book about, you know, Jimi Hendrix, um, who spent uh, about six months, I think it was, as the opening act for the monkeys on their, uh, you know, on their, on their tour uh, back in the late 60s. And just absolutely, as you can imagine, just absolutely bombed. And this on paper, this seemed like a good fit, right? Because the monkeys wanted more musical credibility. Jimi Hendrix wanted a wider audience. He was very popular overseas, wasn't popular in the U.S., I mean, as popular in the U.S. at the time. Um, but it was obviously just a massive disaster because the audience did not connect at all with his music. It was so different. It was so visionary. It was so out there. And, you know, I mean, at the end of that, that the, you know, that handful of shows, Jimi Hendrix could have said, well, obviously I'm just, you know, nobody's going to pick on old Jimmy anymore. You know, <laughs> so he kicked himself and like whatever. But no, I mean, he, it was just a, a, an audience mismatch. Uh, it wasn't it wasn't the right time wasn't the right audience and obviously if you look at the the respective influence that they've had you know looking back on things obviously hendrix has influenced the music scene you know slightly more than the monkeys have um in in retrospect but you know we all have those those times those experiences i think in our lives as artists where we feel like okay i'm you know you, we have to do that gut check okay what do i really care about is this really worth it for me um, am I really headed in the right direction? And I think a lot of times we have to have a peer group that we can go to, we can ask, that we can you know reflect on it with, and that can help us stay aligned. You know, as you're saying that, I, I'm reminded of an old quote that people would ask me, I think when I was a college sophomore or something, they would say, well, do you want to be immediately popular or ultimately respected? Mm. And uh, what struck me about that, the question was, one is a sucker bet, right? Like <laughs> uh, the idea of going for immediate popularity. And that, that's a little of what I'm hearing in what you're saying is is to have a longer term vision for a substantive body of work requires really respect to yourself, it seems like, like this this commitment to to finding that that true through line like you're describing earlier. Is that is that a, a way to frame what you're describing? I think that's really fair. I mean, I think there are three responsibilities that we have as creative pros. We have the responsibility to 
the, you know, to our stakeholders, whoever the stakeholders are. Um, and, and that could be our audience. It could be the people who have invested in us. If we're, you know, if you're working inside a company, it could be the people who own the company or the people who, you know, believe in you and have, have put their faith and their trust, their resources um, behind you. So we have a responsibility to the stakeholders to some extent. We have to shape our work so that it connects with them because they're invested in who we are and they believe in us. We have a responsibility to ourselves, to listen to what we want, to what we care about, to, you know, bend our body of work toward the long arc of where we believe our work is supposed to take us. We have that responsibility as well. But we also have a responsibility to the work itself. And that sounds a little weird and maybe a little bit out there. But but I think that if you really listen to the clues and you look at what's going on and you do some archaeology, I think that, you know, the great artists are those who are able to determine where does this ultimately want to go? You know, where is this leading? me? Where is this work? Where are the clues pointing me in terms of where I should take my work? And we have a responsibility to that. We have a responsibility to help the work become what it is desiring to become. And anybody who's ever been out there on, uh, out there on the edge artistically, whether that's writing something or, or photography or creating music or whatever, they get to that point where they're not really sure where to go. And they feel like they're kind of in the ballpark, but they haven't figured out how yet to exactly, you know, sort of get it exactly where it needs. They haven't, you know, rounded third and started heading for home. And I think you have to stop. And sometimes you have to stop and you have to look at the clues and you have to listen. And so that's what I mean by responsibility to the work. I think the work wants to go somewhere. And so I think those that's really a, the, the tricky thing, Dan, is you have to balance all three of those, right? You have to balance that responsibility to yourself, to your stakeholders, and to the work itself, which just requires regular checkpoints, stepping back, looking at the dynamics, what's going on, and then realigning yourself consistently. Because if you don't, it's really easy to get off course, to get pulled in one direction or another, whether it's getting pulled in the direction of just pleasing your stakeholders, pulled in the direction of just pleasing yourself, and you're kind of out there, you know, just doing work that nobody really cares about because it's what you care about, or sort of getting pulled in the direction of just following where the work goes and then you become aimless because your work's not rooted in anything. So I think we have to we have to step back and figure out what is the sweet spot of those three things on a regular basis. Well, if you're at home listening and you are looking to have your work go somewhere in particular, uh, and that's a big deal, uh, I really encourage you to go pick up a copy of Louder Than Words, Harness the Power of Your Authentic Voice, or any of Todd's books. Honestly, they are they're kind of this foundational piece that uh, a lot of folks are just they're they're missing candidly and i think that todd's wisdom is not only well earned but well researched and really well written and todd your body of work uh, is growing into something really special i'm really proud to call your friend and thank you for making this thing thank you so much and thanks for the great work that you do this was episode 051 of converge the business of creativity podcast gobycollective.com is our new home for all things converge there you'll find past episodes as well as Go, the unconference for creators looking to grow their business, faster mind coaching, business coaching for everyone, and a whole bunch more. Well, if you want to join the collective, check out gobycollective.com. Music today provided by triplescreenmusic.com. Sounds as good as you look. Thanks to Anna Quaza at acreative.co for her audio production. And a special thanks to Todd for being with us. Visit him at toddhenry.com. Finally, if you haven't shared an episode of Converge with a friend, would you consider it? Think of one person right now who you think would benefit from my conversations with folks like Todd Henry, Seth Godin, Chris Gillibo, and Hanley, Ryan Holiday, Starly Kine. There's so many great conversations, and I really think not only do you enjoy them, but maybe your friends could too. And by the way, you caring enough to do that sort of thing is a nod to us that we're doing something right, and we are really grateful when you do it. So thank you. 
that's it for now. I'm Dan Sanders. I cannot wait until next time.